Lifeway Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Hey, Ask Me Anything listeners, before we jump into the podcast, you know that one of the groups that helps us be able to bring this to you every day is Portable Church. Uh, You might be preparing to launch a new church or a new campus in the upcoming months. I recommend connecting with Portable Church Industries, maybe even after COVID, if you're thinking about how to get something new started, they'd be a great partner. They've been around for over 25 years. They continue to be the pioneer in crafting customized and engaging environments and rented venues with systems that significantly increase volunteer retention. They can help with everything, literally kind of a a whole package deal from whether it's on the AVL, kids ministry, lobby space, signage, storage, everything in between, starting with your vision. They're not just going to hand you something. They're going to start with your vision, and they're going to equip you with everything needed to thrive in those rented spaces. Check out their site at portablechurch.com slash Lifeway and talk to an expert today. And now I hope you enjoy Ask Me Anything. Welcome, everyone, to Ask Me Anything, Honest Questions, Quick Answers. I don't say that part very often in the intro, so i got to get back into it with Pastor J.D. Greer. Um, it's an unusual day. Yeah. We're outside. We're outside. We're celebrating. North Carolina says we can hang out outside now, so we're so, celebrating by, by doing recording outside today. So We haven't been any, violating the social distancing rules prior to this. We've been keeping our distance indoors. Yes. But now, we're, now we're doing it outside. Now it's like a new phase one that basically kind of affirms what we have been doing exactly now if you hear any ambient like nature noises we acknowledge those are there me and jd will try to identify any bird calls that we know i'm That's not right. very good at that kind and of we might we'll even see. sneak in a bird call like ourselves while the other one <laughs> is talking that'd be perfect so jd here's a question for you that i honestly can't believe we've not asked yet so why are you a southern baptist <laughs> well when i got elected president i thought uh, probably is a good time to become no. Um, so, the, so actually, interesting. I did not grow up Southern Baptist. Um, okay. I grew up in just a unaffiliated Baptist church, and so I can say that I'm Southern Baptist actually by choice, um, not by simply by you know path of least resistance. You know, so I think there's a, a number of questions here. I mean, anytime you've got a family of people that I mean, some people say 16 million big, some people say the number's more like nine. I'm not really sure, um, but anytime you got that, you're going to have a lot of things that you're like, yeah. I mean, people there there's there's difficulties and there's challenges. But I think biblically, we understand that cooperation is good, Hmm. right? I mean, you know, there's in one sense, there's a little envy, hear me out here, that we have towards something like the Roman Catholic Church, where they have like, hey, this is, you know, everybody's under one authority. We recognize that there are, that the way that they have set that up is not correct because nobody, you know, the scripture never gives that kind of apostolic authority to one individual where he respond to the Pope. And so I do think the model that the New Testament teaches is autonomous churches, but there is a John 17 unity, hmm. you know, that, that Jesus prayed for. And it means that as often as we can come together in cooperation, not only is that going to make the body of Christ richer, I, don't, I mean that not literally, but but make it richer in terms of its diversity and its talent and its access, its experiences. It's also going to give it greater effectiveness and mission power. So that'd be kind of like my first thing is cooperation is is good. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think just even just being able to work together, and I've even heard you just kind of say some of the the opportunities that cooperating in the in Southern Baptist world specifically gives us. I mean, right. just looking at uh, access to training and seminaries and things like that, and just the things that when we come together, sending 
Right. Uh, what we can do to the IMB, it just creates a lot of opportunities we wouldn't have if we were kind of all on our own. Absolutely. Let me take it even a step farther, Matt. Tim Keller uh, says this. And when I don't want to, you know, when I want to win any kind of argument, I just drop Tim Keller's name. So <laughs> my friend Tim Keller said a, this. A rare use of Tim Keller to defend being a Southern Baptist. But either way. Correct. That's right. <laughs> Never happened before in the history of the world. Yeah. So Tim Keller in his book, uh, Center Church, here's a chapter in there on movements hmm. and how movements um, are sustained. And he said, when you look back through history, institutions and movements need each other. Movements are, they're exciting. They're kind of organic. There's usually a few charismatic leaders. There's, you know, kind of captures the attention of people. Institutions have a tendency to be a little bit boring, you know, because you're, you've got board meetings and you've got organizations and high accountability and all that kind of stuff. And so he's like a lot of young guys, a lot of young, young believers are really attracted to movements and they recognize that institutions without movements are dead. Hmm. And certainly, you know, that's been true. Uh, we, we even see as a Southern Baptist, you look back and see periods of our history where there was a lot of institution and no movement and it fell dead. He said, what, what most young people don't really appreciate is how movements without institutions lack staying power. Hmm. You know, let me use my own example here, but um, you know, several years ago, Southern Baptists were just really, they'd kind of fallen off the map in the domestic church planting game. And there was nothing ex really exciting happening in North American church planting, or at least nothing that really just kind of, you know, got your heart going. There was a couple other groups um, in the country, in the United States that have really like taken off. And then the charismatic speakers, the, and it was, it was, it was really exciting. But I remember um, hearing a report from one of these that the, t I, I think at kind of their apex at the height of their popularity, you know, hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. The the total number of people they had in the church planting pipeline was somewhere, it was less than 100. I wanted to say it was between 40 and 50. Hmm. And I remember sitting there thinking, because I'd already, you know, joined up with the Southern Baptist Convention at that point. I remember thinking, you know, Southern Baptist institutions, the six Southern Baptist seminaries, graduate close to, it's like, you know, 3,500 people a year. Yeah. And if you were to write off half of them as not qualified <laughs> or not that talented, that would leave you, what, 1,750? If you were to have that number and then have it again, and even a third, you know, fourth time, you would still end up with several times more hmm. qualified people than, than what the movement was producing. And it's just a, it's kind of an example of how the institution is able to provide a staying power that the movement doesn't. So what you've got to do is you've got to have movements in their place. You've got to have institutions in their place. The Southern Baptist Convention and all institutions, they're not in the Bible per se. You know, there's not going to be a Southern Baptist Convention in heaven, that they're a tool that is effective for the mission. If a tool gets dull, you sharpen it. Hmm. If it cannot be sharpened, then you throw it away and get a new tool. So, you know, would there ever be a scenario where you would look at it and say, yeah, the SBC or some, that's no longer, yeah, that, that could happen. I don't think it's happening in our day. I think right now that certainly there are some headaches, but I think the staying power that we have because of the joint mission that we do together is worth some of the headaches and even some of the bureaucracy and even some of the wasted resources that you see happening in a large thing. I think the collective power is worth that. So for that reason, I'm kind of like, yep, I'm sure there's some headaches, but the mission power is greater. So cooperation is good. I think mission becomes more powerful. You know, for me, particularly with Southern Baptist, you know, the thing that probably most attracted to me was the first of all was their doctrine. Um, the Baptist faith, the message, obviously it's a human document, but I think it is one of the best depictions of doctrinal essentials that I know of in our, you know, in our generation right now. It is I always like to say that it is narrow enough that it keeps us united on the essentials 
but it's also broad enough that allows us some freedom in what we call the non-essentials. There are some convictions I have that are not reflected in the Baptist faith and message, and I can come along somebody else that doesn't have those same mm-hmm. convictions and say, even though you and I may you know, stay up over a cup of coffee arguing about this, we also, you know, we're united on this and we can come together. So I feel like it's broad enough to allow for the right latitude, but it's also narrow enough that it keeps us. Because, you know, if you have tried to have unity and you're not united on the essentials, it just becomes kind of this ecumenical, you know. I've been in in situations where there was a large group of Christians who didn't hold a core belief in that, and it was nothing but antagonism the whole time. You know, like, well, they don't even believe this. You know, I would never want to do anything with them, and that's that's not helpful either. Yeah, and it makes the goals of cooperation almost impossible, right? Because you can't even agree on enough to get started cooperating on anything. And and the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 was, you know, people love to say how he prayed for being united, but he also prayed we'd be united by his word and by truth. Yeah, And so I cannot, that's why, you know, when, when a Roman Catholic says, well, we should all be united, I'm like, well, united around what? If you want to put out, you know, the the right doctrinal statement and not the Roman Catholic statement, we could be united around that. But but truth trumps even a faux unity that is built around not around the message of Jesus. So you got to have truth, got to have unity, got to have both. That's good. So one last question. I know you've been asked this question probably a number of times. So you're a Southern Baptist. You just listed gave us some reasons why you're committed to that. But the Summit Church is not the Summit Baptist Church or, uh, you know, whatever, Raleigh-Durham Baptist Church. So right. why not have Baptist in the name? <laughs> this might put you up to this. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, technically for uh, the first probably eight, eight, nine years I was pastor, we were officially the Homestead Heights Baptist Church. And Summit Church was more <laughs> like our nickname. <laughs> we actually said that. It was like, well, that's what we'll call it. And the reason we went with that is because in our area, people tend to think we're in the Bible Belt because we're in North Carolina, but we're in Raleigh-Durham. And the Raleigh-Durham area is, I always like to say, it's like the hole in the Bible Belt. And, um, <laughs> you know, like the leather goes around it, but it's, there's a hole there. And for a lot of people, especially those from Duke University, UNC Chapel Hill, there's enough legacy that goes with the name Southern Baptist, some of it fair, some of it unfair, that it was creating an obstacle for people even walking through the door. And we just thought that a church's name, I mean, you should never hide what you believe. So we always tried to make really clear what our convictions were. But um, when you're inviting the person, you know, in your Duke University classroom to come to church and this obstacle came up, we're like, well, of course they're they're going to have that obstacle because they're not believers. And so how do we remove obstacles? And for us, that name at the time was an obstacle in our community. I don't advocate that every church everywhere take it out. I understand that that sometimes you drop it because you actually want to like lose your Baptist identity. That wasn't us. We just, we just believe that the name itself was primarily used to bring people in and for the sake of evangelism and reaching people for Christ, we get them in the door and then teach them what it means to be a Southern Baptist, which is, I think, what we've we've done, we've tried to do, and yeah. we've done. No, I think that's a, I think that's definitely something that's about Summit that's very true that I've experienced the 10 years that I've been there is might not be on the sign, but it's not something that's shied away from or hidden when you walk in the door. Right. And so I think that's an important distinction to make. Yep. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We would love to get you a lot of other resources and things from JD. And, so and sign you up for the Southern Baptist Commission. <laughs> and if you want to join the Southern Baptist <laughs> you Commission. reach out to us when we can have it. I'm sure there's somewhere on jdgreer.com for that. Um, you can also get show notes and articles and things like that. And you can also follow Pastor JD on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we will see you next time on Ask Me Anything.